silence. And let me give you an illustration of that. Uh, in Luke chapter 23, verse 8 and 9, this particular scene, this scenario, Jesus has been brought before Pilate. He's been judged by Pilate, and Pilate's asking about who he is and where he's from and these kinds of things, and they say, oh, he's from Nazareth. Ah, Nazareth, that's Herod's jurisdiction. That's part of Herod's kingdom. So I don't need to deal with this man. Pilate did not want to deal with Jesus Christ. So something, uh, something about this man uh, troubled him no end. His wife even had a dream about him. You might remember that particular story. She said, have nothing to do with this just man. And so, so he said, if I don't have to do it, I won't. I'll send him to Herod. Well, he sent him to Herod. And in verse 8 of Luke 23, and when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. Why? For he was desirous to see him of a long season. I mean, he'd been wanting to see him for a long time. Why? Because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle that he did. See, Herod was looking for the miraculous. He was looking for a miracle. He wasn't looking for a crucified Savior. He was looking for a miracle. He was looking for something spectacular to happen in his life. Several years ago, they came out with this ungodly version of Jesus Christ, superstar. But one line that I remember from that was, Prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my swimming pool. Kind of humorous in a way. But that's what he wanted. He wanted to see Jesus do some miracle. Uh, he wasn't interested in Jesus as a man. He wasn't interested in that humble birth. He wasn't interested in the Son of Man, the Son of God aspect of who he was. All he wanted to see was some miracle. And what did Jesus do? He zipped his lip. He was quiet. He never answered him. He never said one word. And so how did he misunderstand him? Well, when he got no word back from Jesus Christ, no defense of who he was, no doing of a miracle, he felt, oh, this man's powerless. This man's powerless. He has no power. Wrong. There was never a man stood before your court, Herod, that had more power than this man, Jesus Christ. Oh, he could, do, he could do wonders if he chose to do that. He said, anything I ask of my father, he will do it. He was not, he was not impotent because he had no power. He was impotent and silenced because he chose to be. And if God chooses not to bring power into your life, could it be that you're looking for the wrong thing? Could it be that you're looking for some miraculous escape from something that you need to go back and deal with in your life? There is a way that you can deal with the sin that you might have in your life. That way is repentance. When you come to the altar of repentance, God has given us a way that we can deal with everything in our life. You can come here. You can lay it on the altar and say, Lord, I'm not looking for any great miracle from you. I just want freedom. I want peace. I want the bondage broken. Redeem me now, Lord. And God can change you. He can get you filled with the Holy Ghost. He can baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. He is not powerless. No matter how the world might misunderstand him today. And friend, the world has greatly misunderstood who he was. The fifth way, and I'm going to move along because we're going to be short on time. The fifth and final way of misunderstanding came to Jesus in the misconstruing of a part for the whole. There's a term that we use in hermeneutics for, for this. It's called sedectity. That's when a part represents the whole. It's a part that's used to represent the whole. So when he says this, and this is our text, Eloi, Eloi, lama, sabachthani. And they concluded, 
my God, my God, this is what it was, the Chaldee, L-O-E, my God, is Chaldean. The Lama is Hebrew, of course, and then the last part, uh, Sabachthani, is another Chaldean word. So it's a mixed phrase of Hebrew and Chaldean as far as its origin goes from the, from the linguistic side of it. So it's Aramaic phrase, it's called. But what happened is this. How did they misunderstand that? I'll tell you how they misunderstood it. They caught only a tiny fragment of what he was saying. And they based their conclusions on that fragment. Probably the Eloi might have sounded a little bit like Elias. And maybe since he is stretched out at Calvary, he is suffering. Maybe he was not as verbally eloquent as he might have been. Maybe he was slurring his speech a little bit. But all they heard was Eloi, Eloi. Ah, he's calling for Elias. Wrong. He was not calling for Elias. He was saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But here's the problem. They grasped only that little fragment and said, aha, that's what he means. That's what he is. That's who he is. Now, let's fast forward to the 21st century. Make an application. There never has been a time in our world, in my world, in my life, that Jesus Christ is more misunderstood than he is now. Our world does not understand who he is. They don't understand why he came, for what cause. There never was a time when the fragments of the gospel have been scattered out there in such a way that they just confuse people and cause them to misunderstand what it is. Let me give you some illustrations. And probably if we looked at who we are around us, we could find all kinds of things, even in our own congregation here. What are these fragments? Well, even in the day of Christ, the Samaritans, for example, they held a fragment. They said only the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of Moses. See, only the Pentateuch or the law of Moses is true. They rejected all the rest of the Bible. No wonder they misunderstood. No wonder they couldn't but wrap their mind around what he was saying. If you go to the Sadducees, their fragment was they rejected anything of the Spirit. There is no resurrection. There is nothing of the Spirit. So they had this little fragment over here, and they're hanging on to it, and they're waving it and saying, this is the gospel. This is, and that's my word there. This, this is the God that we're looking for, but there is no resurrection. And they would argue to the bitter end about that. They misunderstood who he was. And then the Pharisees, what was their fragment? Well, they justified. They used their, their understanding of their piousness, their holiness. They used it to justify their hatred of pagan Rome. Rome, I hate Rome. I don't want Rome to be here. They shunned anybody that didn't do their, their kind of theology. They were the ones who said he's a wine-bibber and he goes to eat with sinners and therefore he's got to be a sinner. And today, in our world, if you look at this, what are the fragments you hear on the airwaves? on television or whatever. Today, one man will take the Sermon on the Mount. He will neglect everything else. He'll preach all of Christianity from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Hey, that's not the whole story. That's not the whole story. Uh, it, oh, it's not by far, it's not the whole story. Many denominations describe salvation by what they call the Roman road. You know, if, if you'll just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved from your sins. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born of the water. You must be born of the Spirit. And when it was unfolded, it began to come something like this in Acts chapter 2. When they were all assembled together, 
on the day of Pentecost in an upper room. The power of God descended. And then they really understood what Jesus had to say about that. But these other people that just grasp a fragment and they preach the gospel from that fragment. That's their gospel. That's all they know about Jesus Christ. Oh, I caution you. Be careful whose voice you listen to. Go back to the Word of God. Go back to a full understanding of who Jesus Christ is. What does it mean to be like Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be born again? Another person preaches, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as we said. Thou shalt be saved. Another person preaches, water baptism by immersion in Jesus' name. Another says, oh, you don't have to be baptized. That's just an ordinance that says you've joined the church. Jesus said, hey. The scripture said for remission of sin. When we get rid of your sins, it's done by baptism in the name of Jesus. Well, you don't have to use the name of Jesus. You can use the name, Father, just a fragment. Let's get it right. What does the word say? Baptizing in the name of Jesus Christ. Every time the apostles baptize, they baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I can assure you, that this church will baptize you in Jesus' name. And what will it do? It will wash away your sins. Don't accept some misunderstanding because the world and thousands and maybe even millions of people in the world follow that particular tradition. If it's not biblical, it's not right for you. Oh, it's not right for me. Water baptism by immersion. I can't sprinkle and get the job done either. Some people refuse to hold the plain teaching of the scripture of the new birth. And then there are others that said, well, why can't we just deify Mary? You know, we can just cry out to Mary. No, friend, you need to cry out to Jesus Christ. Don't let the fragments, don't let the fragments of the gospel distort your thinking. Seek after the whole thing of God. If you will seek God, seek God everywhere you turn. And what you do in your walk with God, he will unveil. He will continue to reveal Every day there are things in the scripture that he reveals to us about this. Let's continue to seek after him in the way that that he can find us. I read a story one time. This famous uh, evangelist was having a crusade in a new area. Uh, He needed to go down to the post office. He was just setting up his tent to have this this revival. And uh, he sought out the post office. Couldn't find it. So he asked a young boy on the street there, uh, where do I find the post office? And he said, well, you go down here and turn right and and back, you'll find the post office there. And then he stopped, and he said, oh, by the way, by the way, I'm setting up a tent. We're going to have a crusade here. He said, uh, I invite you to come, and I'll tell you how to get to heaven. Will you come? And the boy thought about it a minute, and he said, no, I don't think I will. And he said, well, why not? He said, you don't even know how to find the post office. Is it possible that people have so misunderstood this gospel, this Bible that we cherish? They have so misunderstood it, they can't even find their way out of the jungle. I thank God that we preach a true message. We preach a true message. Jesus Christ said this, if I be lifted up. You see that? If I be lifted up from the earth, I will what? I will draw all men unto me. Hey, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. And so it is when, when we try to embrace this, this thing, we need to embrace the whole gospel, the rich gospel, the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of the Godhead 
in Jesus Christ and these sorts of things. Uh, and that if we look at this from that particular standpoint, we should always bear these words in mind. To be misunderstood is always going to be a cause doubt, cause bitterness, whereas we need to learn to appreciate the things of God. He was misunderstood when he hung up on the cross. They sought another answer for who he was and what he was. It was he who knows us and knows us best that was able to say that. Without a spiritual mind, man thinks very selfishly and very carnally. And oftentimes people find some little gadget, some little gizmo in the gospel that seems to work for them. And the end thereof is the ways of death. Came across a poem that says this, I'd rather see a sermon. Would you like to stand with me while I read this for you? Because I've reached the end of my discourse this morning. I'd rather see a sermon. I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather you would walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. The best of all preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. The lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. I may not understand the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Would you close your eyes? Father, your word has been preached. You were misunderstood when you lived among us. And I've shared ways that your words show that you were misunderstood. I've related it to our world today when men have taken just a fragment of who you are, what you've done, your plan for salvation, your plan for escape, your plan for redemption of mankind. And they've made a gospel out of pieces. Lord, and yet you have revealed to us in your word complete and full salvation. God, I ask that you touch each heart that has heard my thoughts this morning, each one that has looked at these words. Let it sink deep in their mind and let it stir their innermost being, not to accept some triviality and say that's the gospel, but accept the fullness of who you are, of who you are and what you've done. Accept that which you have given us in your word, the doctrine of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And Lord, I invite anyone here today to come and talk to you. Lord, if they are in doubt as to who you are and what it is that you're doing, even in their life, in the life of their family, I invite them to come, Lord, to find a place in you, find a solace in you this morning. Would you do that, Lord? Would you touch them right now? In Jesus' name I pray. And now I invite you, audience, if you'd like to find your way to this altar, if you have believed a half-truth, a partial truth, a less than truth, or if you've accepted a misunderstanding, perhaps of who Jesus Christ is, or if you are just thankful for the fact that you know who he is. You have experienced him 
in the fullness of the Holy Ghost. You have repented of your sins. You've been baptized in Jesus' name for remission of sin. You receive the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. And you're living and striving to live a holy and a godly life. Would you like to step forward this morning? Would you like to step forward this morning? Say, Lord, here I come. I come, Lord. I come. I come. I'm looking for something from you. I want more of Jesus. More and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I've ever had before. I want more of your sweet love, so rich, so full, so free. I want more of Jesus, so I'll give him more of me. Come on, church. Would you pray right now? Would you lift your voice right now and pray? Wherever you are, if you choose not to come to the altar, would you still raise your voice? Raise your voice to the Lord right now. Let the Lord touch you. He has something more for you, some deeper walk with him. If you would just come to him, seek after him, find him a reality through your soul's salvation. That's right. Seek him now. Lord, everybody. Is the Lord good to you? Yes, that's the only way our God is, is good, because he's a good God. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I do appreciate your pastor. I, uh, I'm glad he knew where he was going that day because I, I too had been over to the conference, but I went out on the street, walked two or three blocks down the street, went over there, and uh, he knew a better way. Amen. Aren't you glad you know somebody that knows a better way? Amen. 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 So good to see you in church today. I appreciate the fact that uh, Brother Brian has allowed me to has honored me to be here and to be a part of the church and to speak to you this morning. I really appreciate Brother and Sister Brown for inviting me to the prayer conference. I certainly was blessed by being in the prayer conference and being in your beautiful facility and worshiping with a body of believers that uh, heretofore I did not know. Praise God. I'm glad to be a part of you today. Are you glad to be a part of me? Glad to welcome me into your presence. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You can be seated if you like. You've been standing for a while. I appreciate the chance to visit with Brother Kane again. Uh, he's uh, become a little heavily loaded since I last saw him. Uh, <laughs> somebody said the shortest sentence you can give is I am, and the longest one is I do. <laughs> Praise God. So what a pleasure to meet a young couple that's dedicating their life to God uh, and, and seeking after him. And I suppose that's why we're all here today, right? We're here seeking after God. I don't know what kind of burden you might have come with, what kind of load you might have uh, brought with you when you came to the house of God. But I do know this. My God, no respecter of person, is able to meet your need. He is able to meet your need. Not only just casually and whatever, he's able to meet it with abundance. Amen. He's able to fulfill everything there, but it requires something on your part. There must be that trust in him. There must be that faith in him. You must believe in him. He that cometh to God, the Hebrews tell us, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Praise God. Praise God. I want to speak to you just a little bit this morning. Uh, about something maybe Brother Cain was reading from the, the scripture in Isaiah 53, that he was despised and rejected of men. And I thought, you know, that phrase probably describes what I'm going to talk about this morning uh, as well as any others. I want to talk to you a little bit about the misunderstood Savior. 
the misunderstood Savior. Because if you study the life of Christ, and we do often do this, we find that there are many instances in his life where he was misunderstood. Uh, when I look at that and think about that, I say, well, what descriptive name uh, or title would you want to be known by? What title would you want to be known by? If you, of course, it's easier to look at someone else maybe than just ourselves. But David, if you look at David, uh, David was known by the title of a shepherd. Was he not? He was a shepherd. Amen. He also was known as a giant killer because he had uh, killed Goliath. Uh, he was known as the psalmist, the sweet psalmist of Israel, because he wrote a number of psalms. Uh, and finally, he was known as king. But he was known by a few other things, lesser, uh, lesser significance maybe than that. Uh, but when Jesus Christ came, what was he known as? What did they say? If he was despised and rejected of men by prophetic announcement of Isaiah, by what was he known? By what was he appreciated? Now, sometimes we gloss over these thoughts. I, I want to share a few scriptures with you. Uh, Jesus Christ himself said that he came to seek and to save. Do you know him as a seeker? Do you know him as a savior? Oh, I'm so glad that he is a savior, aren't you? I'm glad he is a savior. More than just a seeker, he came to find me, but he also came to save me. Praise God. He came to save every, every person in this building today can be saved because he came to save you. He came not just to seek you, but to save you. He's known as a seeker. He's known as a Savior, and we perhaps know him a maybe a little better as a sacrifice because he gave himself that he might save you. It cost him dearly to do that. I remember a, a verse of Scripture from John 14, verse 9. Uh, he was talking to Philip. Uh, Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long time with you, and thou hast not known me, Philip? I've been with you all this time, and you have not known who is with you. And he said, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. But then I want to take as a text this morning from the book of Mark, chapter 15, verse 28 through 35. Rather lengthy reading, but if you will uh, bear with us, we'll get to the point that I want to, to dwell on and make that. So if my projectionist will give us Mark, chapter 15, uh, beginning verse 28. And I will read to you from that, and you can follow along from the board or from the wall. We, uh, sometimes we sing off the wall, <laughs> read our scriptures off the wall. If you'd like to, in honor of the Word of God, you'd like to stand, I would appreciate that, because God's Word is a transforming, powerful force in our life. Uh, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, And he was numbered with the transgressors, that they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking and among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. And then verse 32, Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, thank God, 
My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And verse 35 said, And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, they said, Behold, he crieth for Elias. He crieth for Elias. So you see, even at Calvary, in his very death agony and his cry, he was misunderstood. And I want, I want to talk to you about that idea about Christ being misunderstood. Father, we ask you to anoint every ear to hear. Anoint your word as it passes from my lips to their ears, that their heart might receive what it is that you have input in that word, that they can rejoice in you, that they can be lifted up, they can have hope in you this day, and we'll give you the praise and you the glory in Jesus' name, and you may be seated. Praise the Lord. Uh, have you ever been misunderstood? Is there anybody here in this audience that has not at some time or other been misunderstood. You meant one thing, but something else happened and people read it a different way. You were misunderstood, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's really more hurtful to be misunderstood when it's somebody in your family. Maybe your spouse or your children or maybe your next door neighbor. Uh, you say something to them and they misunderstand the intent of what you say. They misunderstand the words that you say. And because of that misunderstanding, there oftentimes can arise a conflict or what we might say is a rejection. We might reject somebody because they've said something to us that offends us a little bit, and we totally misunderstand why they said what they said. So it's a kind of a serious thing to have to deal with. Uh, and there's probably nothing more perilous than to act or think on what is misunderstood, what we misunderstand or what someone else has said. And sometimes it's a little bit humorous, too, when you think about it. Just uh, in a barber shop one day, this man was talking about his new hearing aids. And he said, I just bought the finest hearing aids ever made. It cost me $3,500 and on sale. And another fellow spoke up and said, well, what kind is it? He said, it's almost 1030. Yeah, misunderstanding. We misunderstand. And so as a result of our misunderstanding, we misapprehend. We, we don't grasp what is there. And the mockery, this scene that I just read to you from Mark 15, the mockery is at Calvary. He is dying. He's at the end of his life. And now they are rehearsing things from his life, you know, talking about destroying the temple. And three days, I'll raise it up. Obviously, that's a misunderstanding. And they even said, well, this, this temple was 46 years in the building, and you're going to raise it up in three days? Because they simply did not understand his intent and what he was saying. What he was saying, of course, was a bit different. Then they said, come down from the cross, save yourself. Others he saved, but himself he cannot save. Well, now that was a true statement, because if he came down from the cross, he could never save us. He had to give himself a ransom that we might be saved. And you ought to thank God every day of your life that he did not come down from the cross. He even said, I could call 12 legions of angels, 12,000 angels, if you will. And back in the Old Testament days, there was one angel that destroyed 185,000. And if one angel could do that, think of how, how 12,000 could do. So certainly they did not pin him to the cross by any might of man or whatever. But a misunderstanding was there. He was the incarnate God. At this point, of course, uh, in his life when he was dying, he had been betrayed. He had been scourged. He had been beaten with lashes. 
He had been mocked. He had been ridiculed. Anything that you could imagine they could say about him, they brought it up and threw it in his face. And so when he says this phrase, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and that sounds like some foreign language to us, and indeed it is, uh, they said, hey, he's calling for Elias. So they even misunderstood that. The strange thing was that misunderstanding that happened in that last scene uh, was also rooted in some first things of his life. Because when you go back and start thinking about the first things that happened in his life, uh, Luke chapter 2 gives us a good description of the time when Jesus Christ came into the world and his growing up days and that sort of thing. And you might remember the story where he was in the Passover at the Passover about the age of 12. Luke chapter 2 describes it for us. Uh, his mother and father had taken him there. He had seen the, the, you know, the, the elaborate ceremonialness of the sacrificial system and all these sorts of things. Uh, and something had grasped his heart. Something had caught his, his attention, his mind. I like to say that it was there at age 12 that he discovered his mission in life. He discovered what he was to be. Uh, and, and he stayed around the temple. Of course, Mary and Joseph went on back home or started back home at the end of the day. They missed him. They said, well, where is Jesus? So they look among their friends. They don't find him. Uh, and they make the trip back to Jerusalem. And they look apparently among the places they might have stayed. And they're thinking, now, this boy at 12, he's getting adventuresome. He wants to see the big city. He wants to go to the bazaar. He wants to see all these uh, camel trains that's bringing goods into the city. And, and so that they, caught up, they were caught up perhaps in surmising that he was looking at the world around him and the city and all these kinds of things. And when they finally did find him in the temple, he said this, or they said this to him. How could you deal this way with us? How could you deal with us? We've sought you high and low. We've looked for you everywhere. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but uh, you get the picture here. Uh, Jesus said to them, how is it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? I, I have a purpose. I have a call. I have a direction. I must be about my father's business. But even his own parents misunderstood. They thought he was perhaps just a, a, you know, a 12-year-old looking at the, at the wonders of the city and that kind of thing. So let's examine a few things here that help us and then maybe come to a conclusion that we might see how it can apply to our life. Well, first of all, we can say that his own people did not understand him. His own people didn't understand him. In fact, the scripture said in John 1.10, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He was in the world, the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. And yet, even among his own children, among his own people, he came to his own. His own received him not. They refused to accept what he said he was. And yet, in some far-off land, somewhere away, there were a group of astrologers that were looking at the sky. And all of a sudden, there was some kind of an odd phenomenon that took place. There was a bright light in the sky. There was a star in the sky. And, and they began, these stargazers began to say to each other, Hey, that's an unusual star. What do you make of that? What do you see that's happening there? And one kind of came up with the conclusion, Hey, that's the star that says the king of the Jews is born. Oh, let us make ready. Let us go find the king of the Jews. So here his own brethren misunderstood who he was. They did not buy into the idea that he was their Messiah. But yet far off land, people that did not know the history of the Jews without a doubt, 
and yet they were able to, to see that unusual star. We have seen his star in the east. There was no equivocation about that. We have seen his star. We know it's his star. We know that he's been born. So where is he that's born king of the Jews? Are you with me? You see, his own people didn't recognize him. But these far off people did. Hey, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is in your life? Do you know what he does for you and who he is? And another place, John 10, 33, he said, Thou being a man, makest thyself God? You see, the home folks were saying this. Another place, they ask a question. Whom makest thou thyself? John 8, 53. And then he said to this Samaritan adulteress at the well, I said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, you would ask of him water. If you just knew, she didn't understand who she was talking to. And he came to reveal that to her in this kind of thing. So he came to his own people, and they did not understand him. But thank God there were some people somewhere that did understand him. And even today, the world may not understand who Jesus Christ really is, but thank God there is a church right here in New Britain that understands something about who Jesus Christ really is. He is not only Lord of lords and King of kings. He is my Savior. He is my King. He is my conqueror. And because he is my conqueror, I can be more than a conqueror. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Give me my hand clap of praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. A second thing that men misunderstood about Jesus Christ. I realize this is kind of a teachy session, but uh, we'll try to evangelize a little bit as we go along. Uh, men understood his motives and his purpose. Men misunderstood his motives and purpose. The motive and the undying reasons by which he, he, he acted and spoke. Everything that underlay all that he did. Uh, if, if you consider several instances that happened in his life, for example, his healing and restoring miracles. When he did miracles and he restored people, uh, from the accounts that's given to us in the book of Matthew and also in Luke, we learn that Jesus cast out demons. Uh, he healed deaf ears. He, he solved the problem of dumb spirits. He solved the problem of lame legs. Uh, and when the powers that be saw what had happened, they said in Luke 11, I believe it's verse 15, when he had done this, said, how does he do this? Well, no, it's Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. He said, Matthew 12, 24, he said, he cast out devils by Beelzebub. Where is the power of God? Jesus came to manifest the power of God, and they missed it. They did not see it. Maybe you missed the power of God in our worship this morning. Jesus came to manifest the power of God. The power of God was here in the music that we were giving, the songs that we were singing, the praise that we were offering. There was a power of God there. Oh, let me caution you. Do not overlook the power of God in the simple things around you. God is here. God is among us. God is doing things. Don't overlook his motive and his purpose in his healing miracles. If you think of that, what did they say there in Matthew 12, 24? Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. You see how they misunderstood him? And so many times Jesus did not try to correct them. He just let them be misunderstanding. He let them persist in their ignorance and their misunderstanding. And I think there's a word of caution in that for us. 
We could think of another example here, misunderstood motives and whatever. His motive was love. He came because he loved. He came because he wanted to seek and to save that which was lost. And I was lost one day, but he came to save me. He has come to seek you. He has come to save you. He's come to relieve your problem and your heartache and your sorrow and your brokenness, as was described for us in Luke 4.18. Yes, that's why he's here. But don't overlook what might happen in your life as a result of that. Another example we can look at is you, you compare John the Baptist. Now, I like to think of John the Baptist this way. If you want to see a guy that's antisocial, that's John, antisocial. Uh, you, you never see him fellowshipping with anybody. He's, he's out there with a sword lashing away. You know, bring forth works, meet for repentance. If you haven't repented, you need to get in the water and be baptized. Let me put you down. Well, I don't know if I want a guy like that put me down. He might hold me down. <laughs> he might hold me down so long I'd be happy to do anything he said. But, but he, he, came, he came almost with a vicious message, almost with a demanding message, you know. And, and of course, they honored him. They, oh, a great prophet has come among us. It had been 400 years since they had heard the voice of a prophet. And so it, it, was, it was a magnificent thing they were saying about him. But Jesus Christ comes along, and he goes home with people, sits down at their table with sinners, with the rejected, the people that nobody else pays any attention to. And what did they say about him? What do they say about him? In Luke, 4, or Luke 7, verse 34, he said, The Son of Man is come eating and drinking. And ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Hey, he was not a wine-bibber. He was not a gluttonous man, but he was indeed a friend of publicans. He was a friend of sinners, and I am so glad today that he is a friend of sinners. If he hadn't been a friend of sinners, I would have been left out in the cold. He didn't just come to the Jews. He came to all men, anywhere they are. Even in the 21st century, he came to you. Everybody said he came to me. That's right. He came to you. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, they said. <laughs> Luke, 4, Luke 7, 34. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine. They misunderstood. They mis you know his motive was love. His motive was, was, was to do something good for somebody. His motive was to help them. He's no gluttonous man, no wine bibber. But they said this, he feels at home with the sinners. So he must be a sinner. Oh, in their attitude, they misunderstood who he was. So that was the second way. A another way we could perhaps look at that is on his own disciples. They didn't really understand his purpose. They were constantly bickering among themselves about who is the greatest in the kingdom, who's going to be on the throne when he's there, who's going to be in his right hand, who's going to be his left hand, who's going to be a part of that. He came to save and not to destroy. He said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. But the enemy has come that he might steal and kill and to destroy. That's why he's come. But I am come that they might have life. His own disciples didn't really quite understand who he was. And they wondered perhaps when he walked under that tree, you'd have to look up. And there's that character up there. That hated publican, Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I must go to your house. And I'm sure they said, aha. Uh -huh. See, we were right. He's going home with the sinners. 
He's got to be like them. He's got to be one of them. No, my friend, he went to change that man. And as a result of his being there, he changed him. It was Zacchaeus who said, if I've taken anything illegitimately, if I've taken anything dishonestly, if I've overtaxed them for what they hey, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Hey, that's the kind of equation you can have with the Lord. That's the kind of situation you can have with him. But he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to leave, if you will, the ninety and nine in the flock or in the fold and go out after the one. But there is a third way that people misunderstood. Are you with me? First of all, his own people misunderstood his purpose for even coming. Purpose of being born again. Uh, among them, and then they misunderstood his miracles. They misunderstood the third thing they misunderstood. They misunderstood his words and his speech, and we just gave you a little touch of that when he said, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." Now I suspect. Now this is just a poism. I, I just suspect when Jesus was talking to the audience, the temple was there. This is that lavish temple that Herod had built and added all the gold and silver and all the the stones and everything and all those years and built he built it up to try to appease the Jews because they weren't really they weren't into Herodism. They didn't care that much for Herod. In fact Herod was a descendant of Esau and anything that was at Esau couldn't rule over anything that was Jacob, according to prophecy, and they held on to that. But here he was, he was their ruler. Uh, and Jesus I think Jesus I don't think Jesus said destroy this temple. I think he said destroy this temple. Destroy this temple. And he probably patted himself on the chest. That's, that's the poism. The Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> he, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What he's doing is declaring the power of God to raise somebody from the dead. And they completely missed it. All they could see was that, that glamorous temple out there that he could destroy and demolish. And probably without a doubt, he could have restored it. He doesn't work that way. But I think he probably could have. But he didn't do that. And so they, they say to him in John chapter 2, verse 19 through 21, you know, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And verse 20, verse 20, they said, the Jews, 40 and 6 years with the temple in building, and will thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. See, now, now John is kind enough to give us that insight. But John was written well after the days of Jesus Christ. I'm not even sure John might have understood it at that time. He did when he started writing this man. But are you with me? We're talking about a misunderstood Savior. He's misunderstood. And I, I want to bring this home to you a little bit later. Have you understood what he's doing in your life? Do you understand how he's working in your life? I mean, the 21st century, October the 6th, at whatever time it is, 11.45 in the morning, New Britain, Connecticut, God is working. God is working. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Another example we might think about is his disciples not quite understanding him was found in John chapter 11, verse 11 through 14. In this particular instance, Jesus makes a statement in John 11 and verse 11. Uh, he said, uh, these things saith he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Now, you know the story, probably without a doubt. He'd been in Bible studies before here. Uh, Lazarus was sick unto death. His sister sent a message for Jesus to come and heal him, come and restore him. 
while Jesus was in the desert because the Jews were in an insurrection against him. They were trying to arrest him so they could kill him. It was not time for him to die and not die in that way. So he retreated into the desert to avoid them. And while he was there, he got the word that Lazarus had died. And so he makes the statement there, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. And so the disciples, in the next verse, they said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. You know, when you're sick, you need to sleep. When you're sick, you need some chicken soup. Yeah, chicken noodle soup. Or, you know, for the soul. It's good for the soul. So you're sick. You need, you need Sprite and chicken noodle soup and crackers. I mean, that's supposed to help you when you're sick. So they, they drew the conclusion here that if he's asleep, then, then he's doing well. Howbeit, notice this next 13. Howbeit, Jesus spake of what? The death of Lazarus. He used the word sleep as a euphemism for death. And then he come back plainly in verse 14 and said, fellas, he's dead. Get it in your head. He's dead. D-E-D, dead. No, D-E-A-D. He's dead. He's, he's dead. He, he is dead. They misunderstood what he was saying. Even his own disciples who were very close to him at that particular time. And I think he probably said that with a little touch of pity because of their dullness and not understanding that. But then my mind flashes to Isaiah 55 and verse 8 when he's talked about this there. He, he said, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My ways exceed you. You're going to have a hard time understanding. But don't judge too quickly, too harshly. Seek after me, wherewith you might find me. Go for me. Find a way to do that. I believe Jesus is still misunderstood. My thoughts, he said, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. See, he has his own way of doing things. It's up to me to try to find out what it is. I, don't, I really don't believe any person who ever lived lived a simpler life than Jesus Christ did. If you read it in the Gospels, it's straightforward, it's simple, it's understandable. It's only when you start reading something into it or reading between the lines that you start confusing things and misunderstanding what's there. He, he came to be understood. He came to mean it. And the fourth way, we're marching right along here, the fourth way Jesus was misunderstood was his silence. <laughs> That's pretty good. You say it, you say it wrong. If you don't say it, if you say the wrong thing, then they, they get on you. And, and here now he is in his 